ketamine. It's not just a party drug or an anesthetic anymore. Today, ketamine is being recognized as a very effective and rapid antidepressant, particularly in those with treatment-resistant major depression. Ketamine may also provide benefit in those with suicidal ideation and in those suffering with drug addiction. Tune in to find out more only here on the People Scientist Podcast. Listening to the People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on nutrition, health, and medicine. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, a nutritionist, physiologist, and neuroscientist, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 40 on the People Scientist podcast, where every week I arm you with some scientific evidence so we can all lead the healthy lives we want to live. This week, we are covering the hot topic of a new treatment for major depression, suicidal thoughts, and drug addiction. This treatment involves one intravenous infusion into the blood and the beneficial effects can last on average two weeks. This drug is called ketamine. Dr. Dennis Charney, who I had the privilege of interviewing last week on the topic of resilience, is actually a pioneer contributing to this work on ketamine as well. I had some time to ask him briefly about his work on ketamine, so you will have a few excerpts from him on this episode. So as we always do, how about we start off with some core takeaways. Ketamine is and has been used as an anesthetic, meaning it reduces or prevents the feeling of pain. It is often given to animals during veterinary surgery. Ketamine has also been abused as a party drug at higher doses. But in the last decade, research has looked to using very low doses of ketamine as a way to treat depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, addiction, suicidal thoughts, and pain in humans. Clinical trials show that one single infusion of ketamine intravenously can have lasting effects on reducing measures of depression, suicidal thoughts, drug craving, and relapse for for on average two weeks. So ketamine is providing an option now for treatment-resistant individuals, for those particularly suffering from severe forms of mental illness. But how does ketamine do this? Well, ketamine targets a different receptor in the brain than the conventional antidepressants on the market today. It is what we call an NMDA receptor blocker. So it reduces the excitable receptors in the brain. It is thought that in depression, anxiety, PTSD, chronic drug abuse, etc., that these excitable receptors are overactive or too excitable. So quieting them down or normalizing their activity with ketamine could potentially bring someone closer to a normal level of receptor activity. That is the hypothesis of the mechanism anyway. Now, let's get into the details. Ketamine is classified as a dissociative anesthetic, 
and an antagonist of the NMDA glutamate receptors. In other words, ketamine at higher doses can induce hallucinations, loss of sensation, and loss of consciousness because it blocks a certain type of glutamate receptor or excitable receptor in the brain. But there is a lot of scientific evidence coming out on the concept of microdosing or very low doses of ketamine that is given once in a while, such as once every two days or once every few weeks, may have lasting beneficial effects on mental health, particularly in treatment-resistant or severe cases of mental illness. Now, these low doses of ketamine are not intended to intoxicate someone or to get someone high, but rather these very low doses of ketamine may just have some mild side effects such as blurred vision or feeling unusual, and these side effects are very transient and last only a very short period of time. Now, Dr. Dennis Charney, who is a pioneer in this work of the rapidly acting antidepressant effects of ketamine, is here with me today. Now, Dr. Charney, can you tell us a little bit about the clinical trial results that you have seen with the effects of ketamine on depression? So our work with ketamine started back in the the 1990s, and and the first trial that we published was in 2000 on a small sample of depressed patients, which we looked at the effect of ketamine, and uh, somewhat to our surprise, patients got better within a few hours whereas most antidepressants take weeks to months uh, to work. So most of the, uh, the people in the field you know, didn't believe it because it was a different mechanism. It, it, at a minimum, involved the neurotransmitter glutamate in, instead of serotonin or norepinephrine. And it, it worked so fast, whereas you know, most antidepressants take weeks to months to work. So it kind of sat there as a publication. And then I, I left to go to, from Yale, where we did the original study, to go to the NIH, the National Institute of Mental Health. And we replicated, you know, that finding in a, a bit of a larger population of patients. This time, they were treatment resistant, and they still got better, literally within a few hours or, or a day. So then uh, the field started thinking, well, maybe... Uh, this could be true. And, and a lot of laboratories eventually replicated, you know, that work. And eventually, uh, we collaborated with the drug company, Janssen, because it was our patent. We patented the finding. And they did the large-scale studies uh, to show the uh, that it was effective. And it ultimately got approved by the, the FDA in March of 2019. So I will go into a little bit of detail about the clinical trials that Dr. Charney is referring to about ketamine and the antidepressant effects. Berman in the year 2000 in the journal Society of Biological Psychiatry was the first clinical trial published on ketamine as an antidepressant in humans. This was a small pilot study that included seven participants that completed the trial. These seven participants were diagnosed with major depressive disorder and for the trial, had stopped using their antidepressant medication for one week prior to the ketamine infusion. The participants received an intravenous infusion of saline solution as the control, and at a different time, a solution containing low-dose ketamine hydrochloride, which the total dose was 0.5 milligrams per kilogram body weight over 40 minutes. 
So the scientists compared their measures of depressive symptoms using the Hamilton Depression Rating Scale and the Beck Depression Inventory. The ketamine infusions resulted in significant improvements to the measures of depressive symptoms, in which their scores of depression dropped by on average 8 points at the 4-hour mark and 14 points at the 72-hour mark. Ketamine also induced a positive effect on the brief psychiatric rating scale score. However, this particular measure returned back to baseline level at the 2-hour mark. So based on this small pilot study, it appeared that ketamine may be promising as an antidepressant medication, particularly one that could induce these antidepressant effects quite rapidly. Ten years later, in the journal Biological Psychiatry, Anne Hetrot and colleagues repeated this experiment with intravenous ketamine, but with six infusions total instead of the one single infusion. The six ketamine infusions were separated by two days each. Now, they recruited 10 individuals that had treatment-resistant major depression. So, unfortunately, these individuals had severe depression and had not responded to any medications previously. After the six infusions of intravenous ketamine, nine of the 10 subjects responded very well by seeing a decrease in their depression score measures by 85% on average. And on average, those beneficial effects of ketamine lasted 19 days. One patient in particular of the 10 individuals had lasting beneficial effects for greater than three months following the last ketamine infusion. Three years later, Murrow and colleagues in the journal Biological Psychiatry followed up this clinical trial with a slightly larger group of 24 individuals that again had treatment-resistant major depression. Participants stopped their antidepressant medications and, just as in the previous trial, received six ketamine infusions separated by two days at a time. Now, 71% of the individuals responded well, meaning that their scores of depression were significantly reduced compared to baseline and remained significantly lower for, for on average, 18 days. All measures of the Montgomery Asperg Depression Rating Scale improved, So this included suicidal thoughts, pessimistic thoughts, inability to feel, concentration difficulties, inner tension, sadness, and lack of motivation. So the infusions of ketamine appeared to have a lasting beneficial effect on depression that lasted on average 18 days. There was a 70% chance of relapse by the 30-day mark. So the relapse was defined here as meaning less than a 50% improvement in their depression score compared with baseline for two consecutive visits. Now, were there any side effects to the ketamine infusion? Well, the most commonly reported side effects during the four-hour period after infusion included feeling strange or unreal, abnormal sensations, blurred vision, and feeling drowsy or sleepy. But these side effects seemed to disappear shortly after the infusions. So the fact that something worked quite rapidly to improve all measures of the depression rating scale in individuals that have had little or no response to previous treatments is quite remarkable. Price and colleagues in the journal Biological Psychiatry in 2009 reported the effects of ketamine on suicidal thoughts. Now, right now, we are limited in our ability to help individuals uh, that are victims of suicide. 
And so this particular clinical trial was very promising. Price and colleagues recruited 26 individuals with treatment-resistant depression and suicidal ideation. The individuals received one single ketamine intravenous infusion and were scored on the Montgomery-Asberg rating scale for suicidal ideation, which is a scale from 0 to 6. 0 being defined as someone who enjoys life and takes it as it comes, and a score of 6 being defined as someone having explicit plans for suicide whenever there is an opportunity. 24 hours after a single infusion of ketamine, their scores were reduced on average by 2.08 points on that six-point scale. 81% of individuals went down to a score of zero or one on that six-point scale, which is quite remarkable. Now, these improvements were sustained on average for 12 days. They also looked at a subset of individuals that responded quite well, which was nine of the 26 individuals, and tested if repeated ketamine infusions could be more effective. So these nine particular individuals received six infusions on day one, day three, five, eight, ten, and twelve. So every two days they received a ketamine infusion. Four hours after the very last infusion, all of the nine individuals were on a score of zero on that six-point scale, meaning that they enjoy life and takes it as it comes. So as an emergency treatment in scenarios of suicidal ideation, low-dose ketamine given intravenously may be a viable option, of which the beneficial effects could last a couple of weeks. So what could happen is for standard of care for these particular individuals, perhaps once every two weeks, they could come into the clinic and receive an intravenous infusion of that low-dose ketamine. Now, scientists have also looked to see if ketamine can help individuals with drug addiction. Now, there are a lot of similarities in regard to brain chemistry and activity of certain brain regions in those that are afflicted with drug addiction and those with depression. So Dakwar in the American Journal of Psychiatry this year reported that a single ketamine intravenous infusion combined with mindfulness-based behavior modification significantly reduced craving and reduced relapse in patients living with cocaine addiction. In this trial, half of the participants received one single infusion of ketamine and the other half received one single infusion of midazolam, which is a benzodiazepine that can reduce anxiety and induce sedation. So this served as the comparator or control group. All the participants went through mindfulness-based relapse prevention, which is designed to desensitize one to their triggers by raising awareness of their triggers and awareness of their reactions that may lead to craving or relapse. So This mindfulness-based practice is designed to increase awareness and decrease behavioral reactivity by repeatedly observing those triggers without reacting or without having those urges and cravings and noticing that physical or affective discomfort. So throughout the several weeks of that continued practice, the clients hope to shift their relationship to these experiences, learning to stay with the discomfort rather than reactively attempting to escape or numb it. So all the participants went through this mindfulness-based relapse prevention protocol, but only half received the ketamine IV infusion. The investigators noted that 48% of the individuals in the ketamine group remained abstinent into the last two weeks of the trial, compared with only 11% in the midazolam group. 
Those receiving ketamine were also 53% less likely to relapse, and craving scores were 58% lower in the ketamine group throughout the trial. So it appears as though one single infusion of ketamine may have lasting effects for some individuals up to five weeks, particularly in this scenario for individuals with cocaine addiction. Now that is quite promising that even if half of individuals with cocaine addiction respond favorably to a single ketamine infusion, that's quite promising, hopefully as a treatment for those suffering with addiction. So if ketamine is having such remarkable effects on the brain and behavior in some individuals, how is it doing that? Dr. Charney, can you elaborate a bit on this, the mechanism of action of ketamine? You know, we're not really sure. When I, when I first be, uh, became convinced that it worked, I called one of my friends and colleagues who was a basic scientist, neuroscientist. I said, you better start studying ketamine because it does work in patients. And since that, that, that time, I literally there have been thousands of papers in the basic neuroscience labs trying to figure out exactly how it works. We know it works through glutamate, the neurotransmitter, and, uh, the, and a glutamate receptor called the NMDA receptor is involved, but it's not the whole answer. So after that, we're not sure yet. Well, for decades, scientists found, focused on the neurotransmitter serotonin and developed medications to help stabilize serotonin levels in the brain. Well, Gerard Santacora and many others have made great strides in investigating some different neurotransmitters in depression. Namely, they have looked at the neurotransmitters glutamate and GABA. Now, glutamate is the excitatory neurotransmitter of the brain, and GABA is the opposite. It is the inhibitor that quiets down the brain. So you see, there is a common pattern as to what happens in the brain with chronic drug use, chronic alcohol abuse, depression, anxiety, or PTSD. Now, in the early 1980s, scientists first demonstrated that there were abnormally low GABA levels in the cerebral spinal fluid and plasma of individuals living with depression. And now imaging studies illustrate that abnormally high levels of glutamate and low levels of GABA are observed in certain parts of the brain, such as the cortex, in all of these conditions. So what this means is it could lead to too much excitability in certain parts of the brain. And this could also potentially lead to what we call excitotoxicity, which can be toxic to the cells in our brain. So if there's too much excitability of certain parts of the brain in chronic drug use, alcohol abuse, depression, anxiety, what ketamine may be doing is inhibiting or normalizing this excitability. Now, out of interest's sake, I can't help but tie in nutrition or lifestyle to this episode. If you recall previously way back in episode 3, I speak of the ketogenic diet. Now this diet was first developed in the early 1900s as a treatment for children with epilepsy. Epilepsy also happens to be a result of too much excitation in the brain. So the goal was to quiet down or normalize the excitatory activity in the brain. Interestingly, the ketogenic diet has proven to be very successful in doing this. In children living with epilepsy, the ketogenic diet in two-thirds of children appears to significantly reduce their seizures and in one-third seems to eliminate them. Sussman in 2014 and Olivieri in 2008, for example, showed that a ketogenic diet can reduce excitability in the cortex of the brain and these benefits can be transferred down to the offspring. 
Murphy in the Journal of Biological Psychiatry 2004 reported that a ketogenic diet in rats may reduce one measure of depressive-like behavior. In regard to the clinical data on the ketogenic diet and depression, the data is very sparse. Phelps in 2013 in the journal NeuroCase detailed in a case report how following the ketogenic diet significantly improved symptoms of bipolar disorder in two women, lasting two to three years. We will see in the next few years if any new data comes out on the ketogenic diet and mental health. So that is a wrap, my people scientist army, this week on the topic of ketamine. Ketamine blocks one of the glutamate receptors in the brain and therefore is hypothesized to normalize the excitability of certain brain regions. As a result, intravenous infusions of ketamine have been an effective way to reduce measures of depression, suicidal thoughts, and drug craving and relapse in some individuals that have not responded to any treatments to date. Ketamine, therefore, may be a good strategy in severe cases of depression and drug addiction. More research is currently being conducted, such as developing and testing a nasal spray of ketamine, which may be a more efficient means to administer the drug. But time will tell. Next week, I will be doing a special year-end episode where I highlight some of our favorite topics and findings in the last year of the People Scientist podcast. And I will also provide some updates on those most interesting topics. I hope you all have a super healthy week. And I will meet you back here the same time and the same place on the People Scientist podcast. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates. Thank you.